1: your travel insurance.
0: And prepare for takeoff.
2: Hello, fellow travelers. Hey, hey Welcome to this week's episode of the Travel Squad Podcast. Today we are taking you to Uganda. This has been a huge bucket list trip of mine for years. And we finally just said, fuck it, let's book it. And we went.
1: This trip to Uganda was another amazing gate one adventure. I mean, I'm gonna say it again, shout out gate one non-sponsored. They should be sponsoring us because I know we've had a couple squaddies book some gate one trips off of our episodes that we have talking about it, but that's neither here nor there. We're here to talk about Uganda today. And Brittany said bucket list destination. And it sure as hell was. Uganda is such a unique African country because it has a good mix of wildlife. And what I mean by that is you can go and have traditional safaris and expect to see what you would see there. Lions, leopards, elephants, giraffe, etc. But it's also famous for its jungle forested areas where they have primates, gorillas, chimpanzees. And guess what? We did it all with the ultimate climax being gorilla trekking, seeing these big, gentle giants in their element, and they're gentle to us. We escaped unscathed. So people, every time we told them like gorillas, they're like, oh, you're scared to get next to them? Like, you're crazy. I'm like, not at all. Like, this was super, super exciting to do it.
0: I remember when you guys first said that you were going to Uganda Mm -hmm. and I just thought, wow, that's so you (laughs) and that's so not something I would ever want to do, be walking and hiking right next to giant gorillas, but it looked really cool. I've heard just a little bit about it so far and I was already really intrigued. I know we went out to dinner last night and we started talking about it and I was already getting pulled in, so as you guys are going through this right now. I'll be hearing it for the first time, the same as you are listening at home.
1: Yeah, we only gave you those little snippets. We tried to keep it, you know, a secret. That way we can go over it all in this episode right here and even be a nice little surprise for you and tell you all about it. So with every episode, as you know, we start with the tips. Let's get right into it.
2: So first tip we're going to share with you guys is to go with a tour company. We really do love Gate One. Gate One's made this tour very, very well. This is not a sponsored episode. We just really love what they bring to the table and the price point. I've seen the same tour with other companies. It's much more expensive. So I do highly recommend Gate One. They did a fantastic job
0: for us. Can you go to Uganda and have these experiences without a tour company?
1: You definitely can. can. I would say that's going to be a lot more cumbersome, right? Because, I mean, we did safaris. We did the trekking in the forest to the chimpanzees and gorillas. And all of those things require permits on top of that. So... Do you know where to acquire the permits? How to go ahead and do that? Additionally, on top of that, you gotta book reservations for your hotels, which lodges in these areas of the national parks that we went to are more reputable. Also, how are you gonna transport yourself and things like that. So I would say that it's clearly gonna be so much easier to do it as a guided tour. And I think it would be so hard to kind of put all those pieces together to make it your own.
2: Another tip for you is that you do have to submit a visa in order to get into Uganda. And the visa application is $50 per person. But not only that, you need a recent passport photo to submit with your visa.
1: Not only a recent passport photo, they have a whole plethora of things that you need to do. The photo, number one in order to go to Uganda. It's a visa entry requirement to even get it that you have to have a recent yellow fever vaccination. You have to have your COVID-19 vaccination card. If you don't, then they do require a negative COVID test within 72 hours of entrance, but they have a whole list of things as you're completing the visa application online that you need to submit. Most important, again, is that yellow fever, the recent passport photo, and even for us, they did require us to show proof of our flights, what date we were getting into the country, as well as what dates we were leaving.
2: Another tip for you is water isn't safe from the faucet. And that includes just brushing your teeth with water. You have to brush with bottled water. So every hotel resort that we went to provided water for us so that we could use the bottled water when we were brushing our teeth. You can shower with the regular water, of course but the water isn't safe there, which is different than when we were in South Africa, because in South Africa, all of the water was safe to drink.
1: And with that, obviously, do bring some antibiotics and anti-diarrheal meds. I mean, you never know what can happen, not even just here in Uganda traveling internationally, you should always bring it. So with that little caveat, as we're talking about the water, do be sure to bring an antibiotic. And another solid tip here, well, I guess just more really to know, is if you are gonna be going on this tour specifically to do the gorillas, there is a $700 per person non-refundable fee that is actually used to purchase your gorilla trekking permits, right? So when we purchase this through gate one, The $700 was actually our initial deposit because they have to take that money and buy the permits. It's non-refundable. To your question that you had, Kim, can you do this on your own? Yeah, if you wanna go ahead and buy the permit for $700, you can. If you don't end up going on the trip, aren't able to make it, they don't really care that $700 is non-refundable.
0: So even if you book with gate one, And for whatever reason, it closes down. Can't go. That seven hundred is lost. It won't get. If it's our fault, yeah. If it's gate one's fault, then we would get the money back.
1: But if you buy it on your own, I don't know what they would constitute your fault, their fault to to potentially get that refund. But let's put it this way: if you're purchasing a trip to go do gorilla trekking, just assume that seven hundred dollars you're not gonna probably get back. Mm
2: -hmm. Jamal also mentioned that we're in the jungle, so bring a raincoat. It will rain while you're in Uganda, most likely, like because it's a rainforest, it's a jungle area. So you want to bring a raincoat, which a lot of people don't think about when they think about Africa. You're also in the jungle. There's a lot of bugs, mosquitoes, even when you're on the game drive safaris. So you want to spray your clothing with permethrin, which is a bug spray. You spray your clothes, you let them dry out, and it'll stay in your clothing for like six washes. And that helps keep the bugs away. Where did you get that? We bought it off of Amazon. Okay.
1: And so we did this right before the trip. Obviously, we knew what clothes we were going to take, packed our outfits. And what we did is just really laid towels out on our floor laid our clothing out, sprayed it, let it air dry, flip it, spray the other side, and did that with all our clothing. So again, the good news is like Brittany said, it could last up to five or six washes. It's an extra layer of protection versus the bug spray that you're gonna put on like at location and in that moment. But I do believe it really, really helped. We had concerns, is this actually gonna stink and make our clothes smell? Not so much at all. You smell it obviously when you spray it, but by the time it air dries, you don't really smell it on the clothes. So don't worry about that aspect of things. You're not really going to stink or smell like bug spray yourself. Another thing to actually go ahead and pack, so, so important, pack binoculars. I mean, you're going on game drives and safaris and sometimes those animals aren't close to you. They're a little bit further away. And those binoculars make your safari experience so much fucking better. We didn't bring them when we went to South Africa on our first safari that we went on. And I know you know this, Kim, when we were at Yellowstone, a lot of times when we were on the road, we're like, fuck, we wish we had binoculars Mm -hmm. to look far off into the distance in the valley. And people who had it could see bears. We didn't have it. So I think anytime you're going anywhere with wildlife viewing, Bring binoculars.
2: Yeah, they were definitely a game changer. I would highly recommend them. We got a really good pair. We were sharing them around our little safari van, and people were like, oh my god, these binoculars are so good. So we'll make sure to link them, of course, on our Amazon store. But they weren't even that expensive. Binoculars can be super expensive, like $200 a pair. These were like $30 a pair. That's good. So they were super affordable. They worked really well, and they were definitely a game changer. And this wouldn't be an episode of the Travel Squad podcast if we didn't talk a little bit about the bathroom situation. So, in Uganda, we arrived to the airport, and I went into the bathroom, and it was a Western-style toilet. And I was like, this is great, fantastic, starting the trip off great. (laughs) Because, you know, in China, some of the bathrooms, even at the airport, were squatty potties. What were you expecting? Well, when we went to Africa the first time, it was all Western toilets. So, that's... I was like... Should I expect that? Because we're in Africa, but we're in a completely different part. So I kind of thought, like, there's a chance of a squatty potty, especially, like, when we're in the bush, when we're on safari, all of that. And we definitely did come across some that were squatty potties. It's also a bring-your-own-toilet-paper country in a lot of ways, too. And this wasn't like the Ecuador tour where we took where our gate one guide had a roll of toilet paper everywhere we went. So you did need to bring your own sometimes. Sometimes the toilets didn't flush in the bathroom. Sometimes it was a squatty potty. You never know what you were going to get when you walked into a bathroom.
1: And I just want to reiterate, obviously, at the airport and all the hotels that we stayed at, this is not the case. We're talking out in general public in Uganda traveling through. Now, when we're out on safaris or jungle trekking to any of these primates, obviously there's gonna be no bathrooms out there, right? This is really as you're going through towns and villages getting from one location to the next, this is what you're going to encounter on those restroom stops along the way, okay? So don't be discouraged and think like, oh, even in my lodge or anywhere else, like it's a bad bathroom experience. It is absolutely not. So take that in mind. Also, this may not be a good tour if you easily get car sick, right? Because some of these roads that we went on are bumpy, windy, and we'll talk about it when we get to the gorilla trekking, but this is the point where we were really kind of, I don't want to say off-roading, but they were dirt mountainside cliff edge roads. Otherwise, we had beautiful like main highways they are actually doing a really good infrastructure development in there, but certain locations and places where we went through really bumpy and it was off. Been referred to as an African massage when it got a little <laughs> bit jerky in there as our guides would call it. So if you get carsick, keep that in mind.
0: Did any of
2: you get carsick at all? No, I didn't get carsick and I actually do get carsick pretty easily, but I look out the window. I try to like open the windows to get fresh air, all of those sorts of things. So I didn't get carsick, but I could see someone that does easily get carsick even more so than myself could be like, oh, this is terrible. And if you don't like bumpy, windy roads, this probably isn't the trip for you because a lot of the time we were on bumpy, windy roads. Yes, we had a good amount of highway, but we were probably in these bumpy, windy roads for long periods of time because it takes a long time to traverse them versus going like 60 on a highway, right? Mm -hmm. But it was a really amazing trip. I'm so excited to jump into all the details with you guys and with Kim. She's really hearing it. In detail for the first time today. And one question that we got asked a lot was, like, why Uganda? You know, why would you want to go there? And...
1: I say why not, by the way. Like, are you crazy? Like, Uganda (laughs) is a gym. Their tagline is called the Pearl of Africa. And that stems, unfortunately, from, like, the colonial times when they were, like, colonized. But just there's so much wildlife and different types of diversity of wildlife in terms of ecosystems. Like I said, traditional safaris, jungles with primates. So it has it all.
2: Yeah. The big draw to us was the mountain gorillas. Like that was the highlight. They kind of save it for the last day. That is what's building the anticipation of the trip. But yeah, Jamal said they have like the dry savanna safaris. And a lot of people don't realize Uganda has forests, snow peaked mountains, really nice pristine lakes and it's just an amazing landscape you can
0: do so much in uganda and it's a pretty small country so you i was just gonna ask that like how big is uganda compared to say u.s state
1: that's a really good question ah gosh i don't know and it's one of those things where they i i need to look at the actual square mileage to get like a good assessment and you know like how maps can really distort like the true size and uganda is on the equator And Africa always, I feel like, gets distorted, but I would say Uganda might be the size approximately of Utah. Let's just put it out there. That would be my my guess off the top of my head, but I would really have to look at the actual square mileage or kilometers of that, but not necessarily too large.
2: So our total trip was a 10-day trip, but two of those were pretty much dedicated to travel And we were a little worried because we were watching flights out of LAX. That's where we were leaving from. And we were worried that our flight was going to get canceled or delayed, which was what was happening the days before. Luckily, that didn't happen to us. We didn't have any flight delays at all. So we flew from LAX. We live in San Diego. So we drove up there.
1: To Los Angeles. To
2: Los Angeles. We parked our car, took a shuttle to the airport, and we flew LAX to Amsterdam. That's about a 10-hour flight from California. We had a short layover actually in Amsterdam, and then we took another flight from Amsterdam to Rwanda, which was about an eight hour flight. Didn't switch planes. We stayed on that plane. It took them about an hour and a half, two hours to unload passengers, get everything off the plane that they needed, load everything back up. And then we flew from Rwanda to Entebbe,
1: Uganda. And that flight was about 30 minutes long. So, I mean, really quick flight. I don't think it took as long as Brittany said in terms of by the time people did and got on. But I mean, it was definitely, you know, over an hour. But I don't know if it got to that two hour, but it felt like that after an eight hour flight, plus the proceeding 10 hour flight right yeah, so it's it was a long day. it was kind of unfortunate mm-hmm. the good news is obviously we didn't have to get off the plane in Rwanda itself. So day two is technically when we arrive in Entebbe. Now Entebbe is not the capital of Uganda. It's actually Kampala, which is the city that's immediately north of Entebbe. But Entebbe is a little less crowded. It's still a big city, but less crowded than the capital. And Entebbe sits along Lake Victoria, which Lake Victoria is the largest lake in Africa. And it shares the borders with three countries, if I'm remembering correctly, Kenya and Tanzania I'm trying to think if it touches with another one but the other one obviously is Uganda also so we just arrive and we're on the the shores of Lake Victoria right there landing because the airport just sticks out into the lake itself but by the time we arrived it was what like 11 30 at night
2: yeah it was very
1: late very very late and then classic gate one you have somebody who's picking you up from the airport taking you to the hotel we had to wait a little bit because they said that somebody who was supposed to be on our tour was supposed to be on that flight we're going to wait a little bit for them to come out potentially they didn't end up coming out so we ended up getting to the hotel a little bit later come to find out that that person ended up getting delayed on their previous leg. So had to catch another flight in and got in a little bit later. Mm. So it, it delayed us, unfortunately, getting to the hotel. But the hotel wasn't very far from the airport. It was within 10 minutes. Yeah, 10 minutes. 10 minutes, so not too bad. But by the time that we ended up getting to our hotel, going to bed... It was already like 1 a.m., 1.30, had an early wake-up call probably around 6.30 to have breakfast at 7 a.m. to get the ball moving and everything like that, so definitely long travel time.
2: And squaddies, we've talked about other Gate One trips before, but if you're not familiar, Gate One trips typically have approximately 40 people on tour, but Gate One has different levels of trips, so that's just kind of like their general trip. We booked a small group tour, meaning that there would be no more than 22 people max on our tour, but when we arrived to the airport, usually... And I think gate one in this sense could have done a better job with a few communication things was every time we've done a gate one tour trip before they've been inside the airport to pick us up with a sign. There was no one inside the airport to be found. So we didn't realize we had to walk outside of the airport to find the person with the sign to pick us up. And I feel like they could have communicated that because that's been different than any other gate one trip that we've done. And then also because In the past, we've, like, gone and met our tour manager. They've said, you know, there's an ATM here if you need to grab money or whatnot. Well, we had to do that while we were still inside the airport. So we weren't sure how much to pull, where to pull from. So we kind of just went inside the airport and found what we needed. But the next day, they were taking us to a bank. And they never relayed that information that, like, don't worry about getting money at the airport or exchanging money at the airport. The next day, you're going to go to the bank before you transfer and you're going to get like a better exchange rate and all of that Mm -hmm. so I think they could have done a little bit better job with that communication but it is what it is we did just fine but if anyone's taking this trip those are just good pointers to know I also didn't realize that you could really email Gate One your questions before you go on this trip. Like there was a lot of people on this tour that said they reached out to Gate One asking specific questions and they were getting some of the answers. So like some people knew that already, but they Mm -hmm. didn't share that with the whole group.
1: And you also mentioned that normally Gate One has a lot of individuals that are on tour. I don't even think you mentioned how many people were on ours yet. The person picking us up told us that there was only going to be seven people
0: on this tour,
1: including us, right? So the discovery tour through gate one, which we did is maximum 22 people, but we were a tour of only seven, two of that seven included Brittany and I. So we were told by the person picking us up as he took us to the airport that One other couple had actually arrived. They came in the day before because they wanted to get in early and not have to worry about flight delays, which proved to be a valid concern. Luckily, nothing happened to Brittany and I. But again, somebody was supposed to be on our plane, that solo traveler. And then another couple was supposed to come in a little bit later and their flight ended up uh, having issues too. And so they barely got any sleep that night that they arrived themselves. They were like
2: on 48 hours of travel with all of their delays. So that really sucked for them. We didn't have that at all. So we were really fortunate. We were really happy about that. But by the time we got to the airport, and went to bed. It was probably, like, 1 a.m. We were exhausted from, like, a full day of travel. And then they said, we're having breakfast at 7, and we're meeting with our group at 8. So, at breakfast is kind of fun because when you're at breakfast, you're kind of trying to scope out, like, oh, who do you think is going to be on tour with you? Yeah. Like, and there's not that many. There's only five other people that we're going to be in our group because Jamal and I make up the other two to make the seven. But we're just, like, looking around the breakfast area. Like, you know, there are potential fit to be on our tour we're looking around scoping <laughs> things out and then we had a really nice breakfast with views of Lake Victoria it was really nice the food was great and that's when we learned they actually have a, a decent Indian population there and a lot of the Indians are chefs from India and they served a lot of Indian cuisine for breakfast that was really good
1: in the big cities that's really the case and so we really were surprised to be like oh man such great Indian cuisine out here so that was enjoyable to to have uh, at breakfast and obviously other times during the trip itself so we had breakfast scoping out who was on our tour we picked one couple and thought like okay they're probably on the tour but we were advised that when we're done with breakfast we're supposed to go up to the conference room area that the hotel had because that's where we're meeting our I don't want to say our tour guide because our tour guide was going to be at the next location we went to this was just the airport pickup person and really transfer to our next location, but he was giving us a debrief. So the five other people was Jeff and Melissa from Texas. Bob and Lorraine from New York, and they were the ones that came in the day before, and solo traveler Jerry from Florida. So we got the typical debriefing, got to know everybody who was going to be on tour with us, told us what we can expect, etc. So we were advised that day, and obviously it was in our itinerary, that we knew that we were only spending really a half day in Entebbe before we hit the ground running to go do a safari that day as a matter of fact. So the only thing that we really did in Entebbe was go to the botanical gardens, which were right by our hotel and just kind of could do a walk of the botanical gardens. It's along Lake Victoria, saw our first wildlife sightings. There's some monkeys and primates that are in there, even though they were saying like 90% Mm -hmm. of the trees in the botanical garden are non-native trees, but it doesn't matter. I mean, you all have that wildlife that was there. And, you know, I'm just going to bypass the Botanical Gardens. It was what it was, and it was to kill time before we caught our little bush plane at the airport to fly to Murchison Falls.
0: Would you rather have slept a little bit longer or seen the Botanical Garden?
1: I think it was nice to see the garden in hindsight now that we did. But it's one of those things where, in that moment, I could have been like, "Yeah, I'd rather sleep and just let's fly." But now, the fact that we saw it was good because I mean, we did see some wildlife. I'm kind of brush over it so we can get into the meat and potatoes of what's exciting. But it looks like Brittany has something to say about the botanical garden. Well,
2: I mean, we did see we saw plants, trees, flowers. We saw monitor lizards, monkeys, birds. But what's really funny and why I wanted to mention the botanical gardens is they said there's going to be a lot of buds. And I was like, oh, my God, there's going to be a lot of bugs. Like, why are they taking us to a botanical <laughs> garden with a lot of bugs? But the way that the, they pronounce birds is like buds. Oh. <laughs> so, was
1: thinking bugs. so it's a little bit of accent and lost in translation, even though, you know, they're speaking English a little bit right there. I
2: love the way they pronounced it. Buds. buds. But at first I was like, oh, my God, bugs. What? And then from the Botanical Garden, they took us to the bank, like I said. And then from there, they took us directly to the airport. And we went back to the Entebbe Airport, which is where we flew into. And we were going to be flying on a bush plane to Murchison Falls National Park. This bush plane that we took fit about 20 people. So it was pretty small. The bush planes don't have bathrooms. So you go through security you need to use the bathroom. Then you take a little shuttle and they take you right up to your plane because they're small. And then you walk on the tarmac onto the steps of the plane and then just board like that.
1: This 20 person plane, the seats were one by one, you know, like one seat on one side of the left side of the plane and then one seat on the right side. And it went all the way back. So it was us seven, obviously, who were on tour. And then, a group of Canadians who were actually on their way. They weren't getting off where we were flying into. They were continuing on the bush plane to another location, and they were actually about to be doing the gorilla trek themselves mm-hmm. uh, at that point in time. Like, oh, that's going to be the last thing that it is that we're doing and everything like that. So we were talking to them a little bit. But uh, it's a little nerve-wracking to be in those types of planes, that is for sure. But it was only an hour flight Mm -hmm. from Entebbe to Murchison Falls, which again is where we were headed to first. And for context, like our entire tour was going from, minus Entebbe, when we went to Murchison Falls, was going north to south all along the west side of uganda that borders the democratic republic of congo so we pretty much followed the border all the way down from north to south at that point point. and when we arrived or were landing at murchison falls the airport was a dirt runway in the middle of the national park and as we look out our window take a guess on what you think we saw kim as we're looking out the window rhinos unfortunately we didn't see rhinos Rhinos. but you're kind of on the right path we saw tons of giraffe Giraffe. just fucking galloping you like as we're coming in low just galloping elephants munching on like leaves and the trees and everything like that and it's just like holy fuck i'm on this tiny little plane i'm landing on a dirt runway and i'm seeing all this like wildlife beside me it was like like intense and so exciting to just get you know me in the moment
0: I picture it from, like, the movie of Jurassic Park when they're about to touch down and they see all of the dinosaurs mm-hmm. eating and playing.
1: It's kind of like it's that. It's kind like Great that. analogy, actually. <laughs> it's kind of like that, for and sure. And so
0: right there is where we
2: met our tour managers. We had two of them, Yona and George. And they set up a little lunch for us at the airport. The airport is, like a one-bedroom building kind of thing. Like, it's a very small building. So outside, they set up a whole bunch of chairs for us, a little table, and they had asked us earlier in the day what we wanted for lunch, and they had spinach, dumplings, or meatballs with, like, a sauce. Everything was really good. They set up the little buffet station for us, we got to eat, and then just kind of really meet our tour mates and just chat a little bit. And they were like, "Well, from here, since we're already in the national park, we're just gonna start a game drive." So the entire time that we were in Uganda, the vehicles that our tour managers drove were also our safari vehicles, which was different than what we did in South Africa. Whenever we would did a game drive, we would drive our tour bus to some place, then we would go into groups into like the safari vehicles, but no, our vehicles for the entire trip were also our safari vehicles.
1: Right. And we were in two Toyota land cruisers. And if you actually Google like safari Toyota land cruisers, you'll get a good image of what it is that we actually had, but they're really cool. They're nice, rugged vehicles. And I mean that like in a good way, obviously you're going to be on safari. You want it to be a rugged, durable vehicle, but what's really cool about them too, is the roofs actually like kind of pop up and create a little awning of sorts. So when you're on safari, it could pop up, you can stand, look out, but when you're driving, of course, that snaps back down and you clearly have a covered vehicle. But I don't even think you can do buses in Uganda. Yes, again, certain portions, (laughs) we were on those main highways and their highways are great. Don't get me wrong, but certain locations when we got off the highways, you're on the dirt roads. Again, eventually we'll get to the point where we're going to the gorillas and we're on Cliff's Edge, dirt roads and there's no buses going on that so like it's conducive to be in these small vehicles so we just kind of kept with that but after lunch at the airport sitting under a tree which was actually a really cool experience because the airport is obviously fenced off and you can see the wildlife that's kind of around you at that point too even while we're sitting there eating we started our game drive
2: and we saw a lot of animals right off the bat we saw antelope like animals Oribis, cobs, and then the Jackson harabies. But we also saw like cape buffalo, giraffes, lots of giraffes, warthogs, monkeys, baboons. And then from there, we visited the top of Murchison Falls, which is what the National Park is named after. And Murchison Falls is the most powerful waterfall in the world. It is the most powerful. And when you're standing there, you can feel how powerful it is like you can you feel all of the mist like come up while you're standing there you can get soaked just standing at the edge looking over and the reason why it's so powerful is because it's one of the longest rivers in the world and it squeezes through like a seven meter gap and drops down 45 meters into the Nile River
1: right so the falls is part of the Nile River because Lake Victoria is the start of the Nile yes the Nile that goes to Egypt and everything like that but it flows through these regions of Uganda in which we were going to. So like Brittany said, it's not the tallest, it's not the widest, but because of where all that water is forced to go through kind of like a little narrow bottleneck, it creates such force coming through there. So it was really unique to actually see up close and in person, but also knowing that all this wildlife is around you at the same time. Now, granted where we were to get to the top of Murchison Falls, you know, you're not expecting to encounter any wildlife that could hurt you there. But down below, kind of lo- along the banks of where the waterfall actually is, that's where you can expect to see you Nile know, crocodiles, a whole bunch of hippos that are waiting. Really? And They're other big game Oh, yeah. They're like, if you fall down this one, if the waterfall doesn't kill you, you will for sure be trashed by whatever is waiting down there below.
2: They said the waterfall will kill you. They're like 100%. You go in this waterfall, you will die. And then your body will be eaten by crocs and hippos. (laughs) Like, they will fuck you up down there. They're just waiting for the prey to come down.
1: So in this area of Murchison Falls, obviously Brittany mentioned what we had seen, all those animals. We even saw elephants too, but not close up. The next day we were going to see them a little bit closer, but obviously we're looking for lions. So what we really missed seeing this day, even though they were in the park, was elephants up close, lions, and even leopards. We didn't get to see that at this point in time. But the next day, we were also going to be doing a morning game drive at Murchison Falls also. But after we went to the waterfall, did our mid-afternoon game drive, we checked into our lodge. And this was like our first lodge experience staying within the National Park. And everywhere where we stayed was such a unique, cool experience. And maybe one of the more unique ones that we had was here at Murchison Falls.
2: Yeah, the lodge we stayed at was called Twigga Safari Lodge, and it sat literally on the banks of the Nile River. It was so close to the Nile that, in fact, at night or any time it was dark, so if it was dark in the morning when you got up or if it was dark at night after dinner, you had to be escorted from the main lobby to your rooms. And when I say rooms, they're not truly rooms because this was a glamping situation as well. Mm. So what they had done was they had built these elevated platforms. So probably like five steps up there. Then there's like a flat surface and they've put a really large glamping tent. And they've really done up this tent. Like you think tent, it's going to be very rustic. To some extent, it was a little rustic, but there was a king size bed in there with the mosquito netting around it there were two chairs to sit in with a table on the floor. It wasn't the tent floor. They had put down like mock hardwood floor. It was really nice. You it was had like, your
1: rugs that were thrown out and the yeah. seating area also. They even had like shelving for acting clothing. as like the closet itself robes. things like that yeah Ooh. robes yeah. yeah and you had a nice porch too so again you're on the elevated platform and then obviously you have the tent but you did have an area that was kind of like lounging for your porch and they had one of those like little hanging egg swings like that was right there also Ooh. so you can just look out at mm-hmm. night and look at the Nile River and see all the wildlife that is there
0: and so you were allowed to be on your porch yes, you
1: are and because- the it's elevated because it's elevated so again the reason why it's elevated i guess is twofold the wildlife you want to avoid obviously the hippos and the crocs because they're right there along the river and they can't really go up those steps and two it's a river it floods so they're kind of like when you see certain homes that are built on stilts and Mm -hmm. flood areas even here in the united states or other places so that's why it's built on an elevated platform
2: and you might be wondering what the bathroom situation is because I we was have, wondering, like this glamping situation. But on that elevated platform, that concrete platform, they've built a building that is a huge bathroom, like a really large bathroom with big shower, toilet, sink area, plenty of space inside of it, and it's like the same width as the tent. And so the opposite side of your tent has a doorway and it matches up to the doorway of the bathroom and they're just kind of like stuck together Mm. so it was interesting because it's like if you're making the effort to build a bathroom that's truly a building why aren't you building a room and why is it a tent
1: i think they just really wanted to keep that lamping experience and give you a comfortable bathroom so the bathroom was attached beautiful shower not only was it like an attached building like they had beautiful stonework in the shower and like (laughs) different styles in the sink and this and that and it was like an impressive bathroom so we were really in a glamping experience in the middle of the national park with wildlife around and i can't wait till we get to day two and talk about like going to the room in the evening but let's not jump ahead and Get yeah. to uh well the
2: reason why you can't go to your room at night is because you're right along the banks of the Nile River and so they want to make sure that you're safe because there's a possibility of a croc or hippo encounter so we'll just tease you with that a little bit and so we got to settle into our lodge have dinner really spend time with our tour mates go to sleep because the next day we were going to go on an early morning game drive
1: so we had breakfast in the morning you get to pick what it is that you want now our rooms are separate i should mention that all these lodges have a communal like dining and lounge area where everyone can sit and that's actually the only place that we had wi-fi was in these areas so everyone in the morning came from the rooms sitting in the communal lounge area dining and so i mean the food everywhere we were at was exceptional we got our choice to have like omelets so it was omelets coffee tea fruits toast etc we had a very nourishing breakfast Yum. everywhere that we were mm-hmm.
2: yeah breakfast game is always good with gate one i don't think i've ever been disappointed but we knew we we're going to have like an early morning i think we started this morning like we were going to leave by 6 30 so it was an early day an easy day <laughs> <laughs> and we were going to go back into murchison fall well we were in murchison falls national park but we were going to go out to explore more to do more of a game drive and this national park has like over 100 species of animals and over 450 species of birds. And we did gain a new appreciation for birds. We don't do a lot of bird watching in general, but some of the birds out there are super
0: beautiful You know, there's just something about a beautiful bird that makes you appreciate it.
2: Yeah. And there were some <laughs> really small but colorful birds that were like called weaver birds. So they would make these nests. And I want to say the male was the one that made the nest, but they basically weave almost what looks like a lantern of sorts. And the birds come then enter from the bottom. And if the female doesn't like it, she's like, nope, this isn't good
0: enough. I'm not going in kind of thing. (laughs) And (laughs) she'll
1: go on to the next male.
0: He built her house. And if she doesn't like it, she leaves him. She leaves him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Absolutely.
2: At this national park, we were able to get more into the game drive, and this is where we saw Cape Buffalo, elephants, giraffes, lions, and monkeys. Like, we saw so much wildlife and in so much abundance in this national park.
1: I'm not going to lie, I was a great spotter. Like, with those binoculars, I was seeing things fucking left and right and i was like oh my gosh like what is that and i looked off in the distance is like are those elephants pulled out the binoculars they were so we were able to be like oh yeah they are and he's like this is perfect there's a road up here we can cut to them so in the morning we were just watching a herd of elephants just grazing seeing the little babies and everything and i mean they're right up close to us you know what i mean like really within several feet i'm not gonna kid anybody on that so they get really close obviously you can't get out of the vehicle but just for perspective of how close these wild creatures are to you and so we were really excited about that and i mean tons of giraffe here i will say like i can't even believe how many giraffe in comparison to what we saw when we were in south africa Mm
2: -hmm. Giraffes are really beautiful. Like, their coat is so nice and, like, pretty. I could stare at giraffe for hours, and I didn't realize <laughs> that. Like, I've seen giraffes, obviously, at the zoo and at, on other vacations, but these ones were just so beautiful, and they were telling us about, like, how you can tell if they're young giraffe because it looks like they're wearing white socks versus as they get older, their coats get darker. And so it was just really interesting to learn about the animals and kind of just learn a lot about the species out there. So that was really cool. And then we were driving down this dirt road and we come across a mama lion and her three cubs and they crossed the road super fast. So it's not like you couldn't even get pictures of them in the road, but they went into a bush and the bush was literally no more than two to three feet from the car.
1: I didn't see the mama at all cross the road. I think I only saw the two baby cubs cross the road, and they go into the thicket of the bush, and we're looking at them. I mean, this is later in the day. This whole time, we're seeing all this wildlife, and we're like, where the fuck are the lions? Like, obviously, we want to see lions, leopards, some big cats of some sort. And then it just happened so fast to where they crossed it. And then they stayed close to the road, but didn't go in the bush right away. They were kind of just like walking around a little bit. And then finally they nestled into that bush. And like Brittany said, like if we wanted to stick our hand out and like touch the bush itself and put it in, like we could really do it. Because the road we were driving, it's not like, oh, here's like a little bush. Like the road you were driving through... Tall bushes and trees, so they were all, like, elevated up, if that kind of makes sense. It's like the road carved out a straight line, but you had everything kind of up to the side of you, right, in terms of, like, the vegetation growth. And so... They were just in the bush itself. And again, if you wanted to reach in, you could. Obviously, you're not. But they camouflaged so So well in there and were so close looking right in. And it's difficult to see by the time they nestled in there. And it makes you wonder how many other animals you pass and have no clue where the fuck they are. And imagine being out there walking for whatever reason if you had to. You know, like, you don't know where anything is.
2: Like, it made me scared to even be, like, if I have to use a
0: bathroom in the middle of nowhere, a bush is not safe. Like- right. So the local people that live there, are there a lot of animal attacks?
1: Well, there always is going to be animal attacks. There's lots of villagers that live kind of like on the outskirts of the national park or some indigenous tribes that they allow to still stay within it because the government's not necessarily going to kick them out. But to the point of what we're going to get to a little bit later, I'm sure there is animal attacks of sorts but the deadliest animal to humans in Africa is the hippo and that's why at our lodge which we'll get to a little bit later they are very concerned about those hippos because hippos are in water I mean when we see images of hippos they're in the water but they're in the water during the day at night they come to land because they're vegetarians they graze on the grass so those are the deadliest animals that kill people is really going to be the the hippos for people in Africa.
2: Yeah. So after we saw the lions, we were pretty hyped up because we wanted to see more. We went to an area where we could see a leopard in a tree, but we were only able to see it with our binoculars. And I was really happy at this point because I was like, at least we saw a leopard. That's the only animal we didn't see when we were in South Africa last time. And I knew Jamal would be super excited about it, mm-hmm. but we couldn't get close to it could only see it from a distance with our binoculars, so not great views, but we did get to see it. And then by this point, we had been doing the game drive for probably three or four hours. We had seen a lot of exciting things like the monkeys and the, the lions and the elephants and giraffes. So at this point, we left and went back to our lodge, and then we had a lunch there because we were going to prepare to go on a three-hour Nile riverboat cruise later in the day.
1: And that Nile cruise was going to sail us to the foot of Murchison Falls. So we saw it from the top on land and now we were riding a boat to go to the foot of it to see the base. But it was really cool because not only do you get a different perspective of it, there's tons of wildlife that's one in the water And two, coming to the banks of the shore of the Nile to drink water, do this and that. So we saw lots of wildlife on that. And shout out to Gate One. They included a couple free cocktails on this uh, little mm -hmm. adventure on the Nile.
2: Yeah, with Gate One, every night you do get a free beverage. So usually it was a glass of wine. They had both white and red. Or if you wanted a beer, you got two beers. So either way, good choices. But when we were on the small little excursions for this river cruise, it wasn't just private to gate one. It was open to other tours as well. So we were actually the last group to arrive. We did get not the best seats on the the river cruise. And we've been on one before. And when we were on the one in South Africa, it was a smaller river, mostly with crocs and hippos as the focus. So I thought, oh, it's going to be like that again because we're doing a Nile river cruise but we saw so much more wildlife. Like we saw elephants right next to the water. We saw warthogs and monkeys. We did see crocodiles, but the crocodiles were far and few in between in comparison to what we've seen in the past. So it was totally a different type of Game drive, in a sense, but on a river.
1: I would say the highlight of this one, minus seeing the waterfall itself, is we were really close to a family of elephants. And by that, I'm not talking like a herd. It was like a mom, mom a dad, dad and baby. a baby. Aww. And they, like, literally, we were so close. Our boat was right by the shore where one of them, I don't know if I remember if it was the male or female, was eating leaves off of a tree that was like growing in the river itself and we were right by that tree and we were a little too close for his comfort. He was trumpeting and doing Mm -hmm. mock charges at us, even really. Yeah. As we're obviously we're safe on the boat, but within like ten feet, you know, and he's doing mock charges, which is definitely a sign to stay the fuck back. (laughs) You know? But it it was
2: also really interesting because his trunk was a little bit shorter and they said if you notice his trunk is shorter than the rest of the elephants which means that it probably got caught in a snare earlier and damaged his trunk so that was interesting to see too what's a snare
1: like a little trap if somebody's hunting like illegally within the national park or it's there to catch something else, but then the elephant like almost like a bear trap. You you know what a bear trap yeah, looks yeah. like? Imagine like an elephant's trunk getting stuck in something that's like
0: So it was kinda chopped off? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Aww.
2: Not not super noticeably, but like probably a foot shorter than the rest of the elephants, I'd say. So we did see that. We also, which is very interesting and I wanna mention before I forget, we did see a few elephants that did not have tusks. You know, elephants are known for their huge ivory tusks, and that's often why they're hunted, because they are thought to have medicinal properties. So people cut them off, kill the elephants, and then use their ivory tusks to sell on the black market,
1: essentially.
0: If a tusk is removed, That will kill the elephant?
1: No, but they're so big that no one cares to, like, euthanize it. Well, I should say euthanize it. Put it to sleep with anesthesia or something. Like, it's just easier to kill it, chop it off. So it's not like if they remove it, it will, you know, kill it by itself that way. But basically what Brittany's saying, too, and by the way, male and female elephants have tusks. A lot of people think it's just, like, one or the other. But... The elephants that we started seeing without tusks, biologists now are actually starting to think elephants are escalating their
2: evolution yeah, to actually get
1: rid of it because they know that they're being hunted for it. So they're like, this is new. Like, you don't see elephants without tusks. So some of them have no tusks when technically... The generation before has tusks.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah,
2: so that was really interesting to see and learn about, too. Because, like, you can hear about it, but when you actually, like, see it and you see one with tusks and, like, the one next to it with none, you're like, oh, wow, evolution has happened here.
1: So after that Nile boat ride, we ended up going back to the lodge having dinner but let's talk about our wildlife sighting at the lodge and again showcasing the purpose and why you need that escort Brittany. To yeah so
2: after dinner jamal and i were just using the wi-fi because also the lobby was the only place to charge your phone with a traditional charger in our room we only had usb plugs we didn't have any like true
0: outlets so there's no hair dryer here you know you can't do your hair at all so the new iPhone doesn't use USB. Right. It's USB-C. And you can't charge it then in your room. No. Wow. We were had to be in the lobby
2: to charge. And so that's also where you can use the Wi-Fi. So we had stayed a little bit after dinner. And then when we were done with dinner, you have to let one of the people in the hotel know that you need an escort back to your room. So they sent an escort for us. Jamal and I are going down the path. The guy is in front of us. He has this huge flashlight. And we're trekking along, going down the path to our room, and he stops us, and he shines a light, and it's a mama hippo and her baby.
1: Within 10 feet of us.
2: And we're like, oh, shit. He's like, oh, oh, we got to go. So there's another glamping tent situation, like, right to the left of us. He's like, we need to go up these stairs. So we go up the stairs, get out of the way, because they can't climb those stairs. And we basically had to shine the light on them to, like, make them move off of the path. And so we went to the edge of the balcony and we were able to look over that balcony and look down at them. And then they started to, like, go into the bushes and whatnot. And he's like, okay, now it's safe to go. She could have easily charged us for sure. And she's protecting her baby. So that's why you need your escort at night. And in the morning when it's dark. Because they come up to grace.
0: When you told me you could hear hippos outside of your room mm-hmm. when you were on this trip, I thought, oh, wow, that's cool. I didn't think it was a tent. But now that I know that it's a tent, uh-huh. it makes it, like, much cooler because I'm sure it was a lot louder than if it was a building and then it's just a tent there's a thin material there not like a building so it's kind of a little more scary too
2: well at night you can hear them like stomp around the rooms and like make noises (laughs) throughout the whole night yeah you can wow (laughs) I mean they're not super loud all the time but there was one night that we woke up at like 3 a.m and we heard a hippo right outside
1: We even tried to wake up early this morning before we even had to, to see if we can see hippos outside of our room and just sit on the deck in the little hanging egg chair. But it's so fucking dark out there. Like, you really, really can't see whatsoever. So once that sun is finally up, they're already in there. So, but like, that little bit before dawn is the time but it's still dark and couldn't see it unfortunately and
2: our tour mates they had the tent next to ours they had gone down right after dinner and when they arrived to their tent when they looked down from their balcony there was like 15 to 20 hippos in front of their oh my tent. my gosh and they heard it like on the radio that they, there was when we arrived on our tent balcony there was a guy standing there in the dark with a gun And it scared the shit out of me because I wasn't expecting it. But he was on hippo patrol.
1: Oh, my (laughs) God. Yeah. And he's the private security for the lodge, too. But he just happened to be on our deck looking out, watching the Nile, watching the hippos and everything like that. So that was our experience at Murchison Falls. We went to bed that night, woke up, had breakfast. Day five here, we were really excited because we did safari, but now we were gonna get some primate action. We were driving to Kabale National Park, which is home to the chimpanzees, and we were gonna do some chimpanzee trekking in the jungle. Ooh.
2: Yeah, so it does take six to seven hours in the car to get from Murchison Falls to Kabale National Park. And on other Gate 1 tours, you get to talk and chat with your other tour mates and, you know, you have lunches and dinners together. But on this small group guided tour, we had two cars so the, and there were seven of us. So in one car, there was always three people and in one car, there was always four people. So you really get to know your tour mates because <laughs> when you're on these long drives and whatnot that's all you have to do is like learn about each other chat away Mm -hmm. all of that did you guys
0: switch spots or did you oh yeah we
1: rotated so we rode with everybody different times during our travels so sometimes we were in the car of three sometimes we were in the car of four and there was To other couples. So we would rotate who that couple is that we would be with. And everybody was rotating along, getting to know each other. And you know, gate one, they required to kind of do C road. They mentioned it, but it was so small that no one was enforcing it. But it's one of those things we all wanted to do because we want to talk with everybody. Mm
2: -hmm. And that was really great that everyone did get along and meshed really, really well. Like, I felt that was really nice. Like, we didn't have anyone that was like an outcast or like that was rude to us, where we've had that on other gateways yeah there's been
0: some interesting people on some of these
2: tours yeah but being able to be in the car with with the tour guides and with our tour mates we learned so much about the country and the culture like they still make you do dowries so if you want to get married he has to provide the father of the the lady he wants to marry six cows as a dowry and so the Father of the bride then takes those cows and then typically sells them to make money to pay for, like, the wedding and help pay for the wedding and the party. Hmm. And so, like, I didn't know dowries were still a thing out there. And also, we also learned that smoking is prohibited in Uganda. Like, you can't smoke cigarettes. And so only 2% of the population smokes because the cigarettes are so expensive and you have nowhere to do it
0: interesting
1: although they let tourists do it in the lodges because i noticed that you know a lot of times when you're on these tours you'll ask your tour guide questions as you're driving places they'll tell you things and so i asked him i said i i've noticed i don't see anybody smoking why is that the case and so he went into it like yeah it's strongly discouraged like you're not allowed to do it in public yeah you would have to do it in private so that's why you don't see people too it is very expensive To actually do it, and in comparison to what the general population makes, he's like it's too expensive for them to buy cigarettes. So that's the government's way of preventing people from smoking.
2: It's like fourteen dollars a pack there, and in context, there's a lot of farms in Uganda. One U.S. dollar is equivalent to four thousand Ugandan shillings, and the typical farm worker only makes five thousand shillings a day. So they make a dollar twenty-five a day. Wow. So if they wanted to smoke cigarettes, I mean, that's like 14 days, half a month's pay to go just to cigarettes. Wow. So it was really interesting. Even though we had these long drives, we learned a lot about the culture, the population, our tour managers and all of that. And they had packed us lunch this day. So this day they had packed a lunch from our previous lodge. And then we stopped at a restaurant but didn't eat the food at the restaurant. We ate our packed food there.
1: And I think that kind of gives you a little bit of context. You know, when we're talking about the bathroom situation earlier and what she was saying for a squat. You know, when we're on gate ones, they always want to stop at the best restaurants along the way. The best restrooms that they have available along the way for those scheduled breaks. They already have
0: partnerships with these places. Yeah, yeah, but
1: here in Uganda, it's one of those things where... You know, the best restrooms were at gas stations, which weren't very good at all. And they were squats and situations like that. And two, the one time here where it was such a long drive that we needed a lunch, they're like, no, we're bringing the food from the lodge. We only have a partnership of a place where we're only going to sit Sit. and have you use the restroom. So they don't even want you to eat the food out in public.
2: They did serve us fruit. It was bananas, so they're in the peels, and then pineapples that have, like, the casing on the outside. So they did cut us fruit, but we didn't eat the food there. We had, like, our packed lunch. And then we did a shortcut, which I don't know how much of a shortcut it was, but we (laughs) went through a tea plantation after lunch, and we were actually able to see them do, like, a tea picking demonstration in the tea fields and the tea plantations. So that was really cool. They were talking a lot. Tons of
1: tea out in Uganda. Like, it's a big staple crop. Most people work in tea farms, if not banana farms.
0: Did you have it available at most of the places? Yeah, we did have tea available. And
2: then on one of the stops, we were able to stop at a tea shop and buy tea to bring home as a souvenir. So we did do that as well. But then it got really exciting because as we got closer to Kabali National Park, that's when we started to see more wildlife. We were seeing monkeys on the side of the road, baboons on the side of the road. And as we were approaching the national park, We slowed our car because we saw a family of baboons on the side of the road, and then a baboon hopped up onto the top of our car, like on the front, and our tour manager goes, put up your windows, put up your windows, so we put up our windows, (laughs) and he just straight is chilling on the top of our car. He's not moving, so we start to drive is really he slowly. looking straight in at you? He's yeah. looking
1: at us a little bit. Oh, of <laughs> course, of course.
2: And so he starts to drive slowly because he's like, is he going to get off? Is he going to get off? And he, like, stayed on the front of our vehicle for probably half a mile, I'd say. Oh, yeah. And just caught a ride from us and then decided to jump off eventually. But that was really exciting because they're like... It can be aggressive, you know, so make sure you don't stick your hand out to take like a picture or like anything. You want the windows up because they're clever,
1: clever creatures, clever little bastards. And this guy was staying on the hood and popped a little ride. But eventually he did jump off and we got to where we were staying in Kabali National Park. And that's what was really cool. All of our lodges were inside the national parks. So we had this really cool frickin lodge in the middle of the forest, really, really done up. And we went from a glamping experience to a more luxury like Lodge Hotel experience in the forest. So we got acclimated a little bit and then we weren't doing the chimp trekking that day, but we were doing something else.
2: Yeah, we went to have a swamp walk or a wetland walk. We went to a wetland sanctuary and they had this elevated wooden boardwalk through part of the sanctuary. So we walked on that, and we got to see monkeys and a whole bunch of birds, and we came across some really big spiders as well. But one of our tour mates, as we were walking in the swamp, he was a big guy. Poor Bob. Bob is like, (laughs) I don't know, six. Oh, he's
1: like six four. four.
2: He's a big, tall guy. He's walking on this tiny little boardwalk. And his foot goes through one of the planks. The planks and he probably went like shin deep into the swamp water.
0: Ooh. How did he the... go through the plank?
1: I just it wasn't a very sturdy board that he stepped on.
0: And it broke through? Yeah. Mm. And
1: like I said, he's a tall guy. So imagine, you know, what type of weight somebody who's 6'4 has, you know. He's not big in that sense. But like in terms of the height, definitely went through right on that board a little bit. So poor Bob. But this area was really cool because we were seeing all sorts of different primates. Again, not the chimpanzees because we were in an area that was kind of really outside the thickness of the forest that is Kabale National Park, so a lot of like the the smaller monkeys that you would expect, like the colobus monkey. Mm-hmm. I think what, what there's was like that?
2: a red tail monkey. Yeah,
1: so we saw a good variety of like four or five different types, plus really cool ass fucking birds, like. Birds that you would almost think like tropical locations, like even in the Amazon, how they look with the bright colors and the different types of beaks and things like that. So it was really, really awesome. We went back to the lodge after that and everyone's excited with anticipation because we know tomorrow is going to be... The big primates, the chimpanzees. And, you
2: know, we haven't talked a lot about the alcohol that they offer in Uganda. But this night, we did try an African alcohol. It's called Amarula. And it's a cream liqueur from South Africa. And it's really good. It's, like, really creamy. Almost like a Baileys, kind of milky, kind of creamy. But better than but a Baileys. better than a Baileys. Mm. And so we did try that. I did ask You, them, you just
0: said, what's it called again? Amarula. Amarula. As soon as you said that, it reminds me of Amaretto. Mm -hmm. Is it the same kind of creaminess as that?
1: To some degree, I would say it is. But one of the reasons why it's famous, if I remember correctly, is they utilize in it a leaf also that maybe an elephant chews that you... It's a
0: fruit from the Amarula tree.
1: Ah, it's the fruit from the tree.
0: And elephants like that. That would be epic if they use the saliva-covered leaves from an elephant. Oh, from the elephant and it spits
1: it back out or something like that. I knew there was something about the elephant really being drawn to it. So it's made from the flower of that tree. I thought it was the, the leaf, but it's the flower itself. And
2: on the bottle, it's a big elephant on the bottle. So it was really delicious. I was trying to ask them, like, do you guys have a word for cheers? Because we like to, in different countries, like, learn those words. And they said they don't. It's not
0: a culture tradition that they have. Really? Yeah. So they don't have i think that's the first time i've ever heard of a a country culture of people that didn't have a cheers
2: Mm -hmm.
0: wow so we didn't cheers or like if we did cheers it's just like
2: cheers you know because they didn't have that so that was interesting hey squatties, we want to share one of our favorite travel products with you liquid iv is a category winning hydration brand fueling your well-being while traveling
1: One stick fits into 16 ounces of water to give you three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks and hydrates you two times faster than water alone. Their half-ounce hydration multiplier powder packet is the one product you need in every suitcase, carry-on, and day pack.
0: We use it while flying on planes because flights can be so dehydrating. We use it when we feel jet-lagged, when we're out on a hike, and after a long night out that has us feeling worn out. In just one stick, you get five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C.
2: Liquid IV also now comes in 12 delicious and refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting. Our favorites are the lemon-lime and tangerine with immune support.
1: It's made with premium ingredients, all non-GMO and gluten, dairy, and soy-free. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use Travel Squad Podcast at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop better hydration today using promo code Podcast at liquidiv.com.
0: Hey squatties, let's take a quick detour to talk about our travel itineraries that we've created just for you.
1: We just launched several new international trip itineraries, including Tulum and Japan. This is on top of the itineraries we already have for U.S. trips like the Hawaiian Island of Kauai, the U.S. Virgin Islands, as well as National Park trip itineraries including Utah's mighty five national parks and a week at Grand Teton and Yellowstone.
2: These fully built out 20 to 30 page PDF guides are available for instant download on our site right now. Every detail of the trip is laid out for you. So all you have to do is download,
0: book, show up and have fun. The itineraries tell you where to fly into, the exact route to take, where to stay, park entrance prices, where to eat, driving distance between attractions, the things to see and do, Even the hikes we recommend, their mileage, and the time to allot for each one. And believe it or not, so much more.
1: Be sure to head over to TravelSquadPodcast.com to download your very own comprehensive travel itinerary today.
2: But while we were at Primate Lodge, we were so excited because the next day we knew we were going to be trekking with the chimpanzees. We were so close to the chimpanzee trek that we could walk to the starting point from our hotel. Wow. Like,
1: they're like, like We were in the thick of the forest. Like we were really in the middle of it. They were like, it's common for the chimpanzees to even migrate in this territory. Maybe you'll see them. Maybe you won't. You'll for sure see other monkeys. But sometimes they even come through here themselves. But that wasn't the case for us. And even if they did, we wouldn't be starting the trek then, right? Because the trek has to be one with your permit and with your ranger guides from the national park
2: we walked down like it was only two minutes to the where the starting point was we got a little briefing with a guide and they told us like make sure that you're not making the same sounds that the chimpanzees are making don't try to mimic their sounds because they might be doing an aggressive call and if you're mimicking that they're going to come down wanting to like fight you essentially you can't hike with hiking poles because they think that is like a threat. They want to play with a stick too. They think you're there to play and fight. So you had to be very careful with what you did in front of the chimpanzees. So we learned a little bit about them and essentially we were told that they were going to be primarily in the trees and then if we were lucky the chimps would get hot and climb down the trees later in the day and we could watch them on the forest floor. So that's what we're heading out to do. So we start to drive from where we were being briefed to a location closer to hike with them. And we're coming down the road, not very far, and we see a whole bunch of people looking up in the trees. So we park, we get out, and there they are, just right in the trees above us, right off of that road.
1: They're eating in a giant fig tree. And when you think of fig trees here in the United States, like you can't even compare it to this fig tree that was in Africa. I mean, it was like a hundred, hundred and fifty feet tall, so wide, like a big giant umbrella, and there's literally a full troop of them, I would say at Least 30 plus in that tree just munching on their figs, having Having breakfast. breakfast. That's again, where the binoculars come in clutch because it's a very, very tall tree high up. I mean, you can see them, but obviously it gives you a lot better context with the the binoculars and everything. And so we were watching them there for quite a while. And and actually where we came across them is not where we were supposed to be. We were supposed to go, if I remember correctly, to another troop Mm -hmm. because they have trackers that go out in the morning, but they're like, these ones are so close, they're on the road. We're just going to go ahead and stay here. And we watched them for a little bit. And then at one point, the majority of them were still in the tree, but only one for whatever reason like was coming down. So you got to watch him do his typical chimpanzee swing from like branch to branch, tree to tree and like come down slowly but surely. And then as soon as that one came down, our ranger guide said, come on, we're going to go into the forest. So then we start with this adrenaline rush, like, fuck yeah. Like, and so we just start following the chimpanzee into the thicket of the forest.
2: Yeah. And they move fast. Like they're not slow. Like he is like trekking on the forest floor and we're trying to
0: keep up. Like, where's he going? You know? So he's like, saw you. And he's like, oh, time to go. Come on, follow me. And so
1: he's like, (laughs) let's follow this one. It's on the ground. And then we were following for a little bit, but he, had a good pace and not everybody could keep up. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I mean, they're agile creatures. They move fast, right?
0: Were you doing like a slow jog or a fast walk? A fast walk. Fast like walk. A power walk for a sure. Fast walk.
1: And it's one of those things too, you don't really want to run because then you can scare them and think it's like an aggressive tactic for them also. And so eventually he kind of settled down and... He, he
2: climbed a tree in the forest. But
1: before he climbed it, he actually sat and posed for us for a quick little second. Like he knew. And then he just <laughs> kind of started to climb the, the tree a little bit. And then eventually he got out of sight far enough in the tree. And it was only one. So our guide said, OK, let's go actually. Back. Well, not at that point. We started to go a little bit further in because we were trying to find maybe another troop. And then he decided that we'll go back. And why did he decide that we'll go back?
2: Because he knew that the rest of the chimpanzees would eventually come out of the tree. And he said it was a good day. And the reason why is because it was a sunny day. So when it's sunny outside, after they have breakfast, they get warm. And they want to come down to the forest floor to nap. If it's a rainy day or an overcast day, they'll stay in the trees all day. Because the sun's not bothering them. Hmm. So when we got there, he goes, it's going to be a good day. It's already sunny.
1: He's like, I usually don't make guarantees. But he's like, I can guarantee you that the chimpanzees are gonna come down. So he said, we're not gonna go try to find like another troop, we know where one is, like they're gonna come down soon. As soon as we arrived, then they started coming down out of the tree in masses. There are already some on the floor, but then they started coming down out in masses.
2: Well, before we even got back to the road, we started to see just chimpanzees come to the forest. And so we kind of did this back and forth of like starting to go back, but then getting distracted because there's chimpanzees coming right next to us. One of them got so close to me that like I was taking a video of it. I had to move out of its way (laughs) or else it would have just knocked me over. Like that's how close
1: it was. Oh yeah. And then it ended up brushing up against me. And I'm trying to think, was it Jerry or Bob or Lorraine who bumped both of us? I don't know. I think it might've been me and Lorraine, but like it walked between us and bumped us.
2: Wow. As it was making its They were its way. so close. And obviously you can't touch them, but if they touch you, you just go with it kind of thing. <laughs> you try to get out of their way, but you don't want to like startle them either. So that was really cool because it was, it wasn't scary, but it was an adrenaline rush because you're seeing them, you're following them. Like it's a whole experience. And I wasn't expecting that. Like, I didn't know what to expect. I thought we'd see them and they say you get an hour with them once you're there with them. But I didn't think we would be like going back and forth and like tracking them I think
1: it really just depends on the day. And that day we got really lucky. So again, it was that little bit of back and forth. But finally we went to the base of that big fig tree where a lot of them were just lounging at that point. They started
2: to nap. They started to groom each other, playing with each other. We did see um, a mama chimp and her baby. She was kind of trying to hide in the bushes. They were saying like, stay a distance away, but we were close enough to like really see them. And then whenever we were in their presence, we had to put on our masks because they were worried about transmitting diseases. From the monkeys to you.
1: And vice versa. Versa.
2: Oh. Yeah. So anytime we were close to the primates and we were watching them, we did have to put our
1: masks on. So when they were up in the tree, we didn't have to. But when we were down on the forest floor with them in close proximity. And when I say close proximity, I mean, we were within 10 feet of them. Like, that's as close as we could approach them. Clearly, they got closer to us at that point. But we couldn't just approach them in that type of closeness. So we were down on the forest floor with them. That's when we had to put on our masks. And just for future reference, same with the gorillas, for that matter. We had to do it with all the primates. So, I mean, that was just really intense. I mean, once they were down on the forest floor, we watched them or amongst them for quite a bit of time, maybe about an, an hour. hour. And then they gave us certificates saying that we completed the chimp track and like it's <laughs> it's actually really cool. I'm I'm really stoked about those souvenirs and I'm gonna be framing them. It has really? the date, it has the national park, it says that you've successfully completed the chimp trek and saw chimpanzees in the wild like it's a it's this whole like fucking certificate that I'm stoked and hard on right now. Like it's really cool.
2: So after the chimp truck, we went back to Primate Lodge, we had a quick lunch, and then we were driving to Queen Elizabeth National Park for later in the day. And it was about a three-hour drive to Queen Elizabeth National Park. And along the way, we saw some beautiful volcanic crater lakes. And then we checked into a different lodge, and this lodge was called the Elephant's Plain Lodge. This was definitely my favorite lodge. It was so luxurious. It was so beautiful when we arrived. You can just tell the ambiance was just different. And they had this big outdoor deck with seating area that overlooked these lakes. And for dinner, they put down, like, flowers and petals on the table. And then you go down these paths to these private cabanas, huge room, huge king bed, You have a balcony that overlooks the lake. Immediately, Jamal saw an animal in the lake. We pulled out our binoculars. It was an elephant in the water. Wow. The bathroom was massive, beautiful stonework. It even had a claw foot tub in it. It was just the most beautiful lodge. Loved it here.
1: I love the elephant plane lodge too, minus the luxuries that the lodge itself had. I think what was really cool of the dynamic of it was we were literally right outside Queen Elizabeth National Park on an elevated hill. And you look down and like Brittany said, you could see the lakes. But you're looking down to flatland, and so it's that flat, like, African bush of the uh, safari itself. So there's the lakes, there's the elephant in it, and then you can see, like, the typical African trees that you expect to see on, like, the savannah plains. And here I am at my lodge in the dining area and recreation area, just overlooking this vastness that I know is like Queen Elizabeth with all this wildlife that's down there. And it was like a really, really intense feeling. And this was a very big day. I mean, we did the chimpanzee trek. We made our way to Queen Elizabeth. And we were going on an an evening evening game game drive drive that night. So we went from chimps all the way to true traditional safari. And just for a little bit of context, this park is called Queen Elizabeth National Park because Queen Elizabeth herself actually was staying at this national park when she was Princess Elizabeth. And she was actually notified of her father's passing and that she was going to become queen when she was here on royal tour at this park. So it had a different name. I forgot what it was called. Was it called Kazinga? I think so. I think it was called Kazinga. And she was here when she found out her father died. And just also for context and reference, Uganda is a... Commonwealth. Commonwealth of the United Kingdom, basically meaning it's like one of their territories that they still have even though they are independent and another little fun fact when we left the lodge we started talking obviously about the name with the person who was in our jeep with us which was jerry at that time and just kind of like the british monarchy and come to find out when we get back from our game drive that day and we have internet access, the queen died. So we were in Queen Elizabeth Park the first day the the queen had passed away.
2: Yeah, that was crazy. She had been there when she found out that her father had passed, and we were there when we found out she had passed. But this evening, game drive was amazing. We went at dusk. We saw elephants. We saw Cape Buffalo in these water holes, and they were doing these mud baths. They were having a spa day, for sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Does it get to the point where you've seen such amazing things and animals that you're like, oh, another elephant? Another hippo. You know,
1: (laughs) I don't think, like, the elephants, giraffes, and the bigger stuff get old.
0: It's the antelope that you're like, all right, we've seen that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And even the buffalo, like, if you see, like, one buffalo, and what's ironic is when we were in South Africa... We didn't really see a lot of the Cape Buffalo.
0: Cape Buffalo, I Google image searched a picture of them, and they are so cute. It looks like they're wearing like a little a wig that comes out on the side. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you can actually tell tell if
2: it's male or female based off of like the helmet and horns that they have. Like the males have like a full helmet where the females don't have like the full helmet. Like, head. yeah, where, where the
1: horns the- come all the way across, right? But when we were in South Africa, we really didn't see a lot of Cape Buffalo. We saw them but they were Cape Buffalo that were ostracized from the herd, so they were like solo ones. And you see it and it's like, okay, it's there. It's one of the African big five. But it wasn't very exciting. But here at Queen Elizabeth, and even when we were at Murchison Falls, like this was the first time that we actually saw them in herds. And when they're in herds and in the watering holes, and even if not in the watering hole, like in herds, they're a lot more cooler to watch. So I didn't get tired of them. It's really like Brittany said, the antelopes that you get tired of seeing. But everything else is just fucking exciting because it's nature. It's like, what are they going to do next? What's going to happen in this moment? You know, so I don't think it ever really... Got old, but the highlight of this evening game drive was, and again, it's one of those things at the very end is when we saw the lions. As we're kind of heading back towards the entrance exit of the park to go back to the lodge, we come across a herd of lions, or, and they're
2: pretty close to the roadside. Like, we didn't need our binoculars to see them, like
1: within 20 25 feet, would you oh my say? Gosh. Yeah, and so they're just laying next to the road, and then you could see the male. Off in, male, off in the distance, just enjoying the sunset. We were watching them for quite a bit of time and we were talking like, well, there's a herd of buffalo over there. Like, I feel like they're probably going to hunt them. And everyone was, like, speculating, like, are they going to do anything now in this moment? What's going on? This, that, and the other. And the buffalo actually, I don't even think, saw them.
2: No, they didn't. They had no idea.
1: Anything like that. And so they were
2: talking about how the direction of the wind was in favor of the lions so that the wind wasn't blowing the lion scent towards the buffalo. It was blowing it away. So they didn't even know that they were there.
0: Oh, wow. And I felt like the pictures that you posted of the male lion... He looks so much healthier, beefier, better fur than the ones that you posted in South Africa.
2: Well, at South Africa, we went to a reserve where they were rescued once. So people had tried to breed them and then keep them as pets and then had to give them up versus these were out in the wild.
1: Yeah, I mean, the lions that we saw in South Africa, we only saw cubs and females. We didn't even see a dominant male. Lion in South Africa, except for one, off in the distance, too far to take a photo. He stood up, walked, and then like collapsed back down. But otherwise, we didn't see one. So I think the photos you're referring to is exactly what Brittany said when we went to the sanctuary of the the ones that were actually rescued at that point versus the wild ones but we were just so entranced with these lions i mean it's that culmination and excitement like you have a dominant male plus his pride and it wasn't just females he had juvenile males that were Mm -hmm. still with him right so those juvenile males you know in time are either going to challenge him or get kicked out of the pride itself because he only keeps adult females if they're not like cubs or adolescents right But eventually, and it was so upsetting because we knew Hunt was probably going to go on, park rangers came and said we had to leave the park because, again, it was an evening game drive. And unless you have a night permit, you can't be in the park at night. So they kicked us out, but we knew we were coming back in in the morning for a morning game drive.
2: Yeah. So we knew we were coming back the next morning for a morning game drive. So we went back to our hotel, had dinner, rested. And this was probably one of the most exciting days of this trip. And... Right when we entered the national park, we saw the lions that we saw the night before pretty close to the same area that they were at. However, they were more in the distance. And so we saw them with our binoculars. We knew that they were close. And we were like, we want to get closer to him. And they're like, oh, well, you know, they're over there. But then all of a sudden, we see a whole bunch of safari vehicles and caravan d- drive right up to the lions.
1: Like off-roading.
2: And we're like, how do we do that? And he was like, oh, that's a special permit. We don't have it, the permit for that. We have, like, the on-road permit. We don't have the off-road permits. I'm like, how do we get them? <laughs> and like how much are they so he starts making calls and he's like it's $110 per person if we want to go off-roading well it was
1: 100 it gets to be 110 for a different reason which we'll talk. it was $100 per person okay
2: so $100 per person if you want to go off-roading and I was like can we do like can we pay as we exit kind of thing and he called and got everything set up and then all of a sudden like we made a consensus both vehicles we were to go off-roading and we got to drive right up to the lions
1: <laughs> it was so freaking and they were still there in that same area because they had gotten a kill they got the kill like after we had left so it's one of those disappointing things i wish we could have seen the hunt but they were still in an area protecting a carcass so to speak so then we just joined the caravan went off-roading in our heavy-duty toyota land cruisers and we were just like right by the lions. And so, again, the male always really stays solo to some degree. So we went to where the the pride actually was, the females and the adolescent males, and then were amongst them for a little bit. And then we drove towards the male lion. And as we drove towards the male lion, he got up and started walking away before he collapsed and just was like basking in the sun, mm-hmm. enjoying his kingdom that is before him. I mean, it's such a cool experience to be like, these fuckers are wild and, like, you're in their element. It was really, really cool.
2: And they were so unbothered by the safari vehicles. They were so close to us that one of the lions got up and started rubbing its body against our tire to our vehicle. Oh, my gosh. Like, that's how close they got, like, they didn't care about us. They were just like chilling. But this is also where we got to see some lions climb into a cactus tree. Oh,
1: yeah. So in Queen Elizabeth National Park and Queen Elizabeth is so vast, there's actually chimpanzees in Queen Elizabeth. Some of this park actually extends up into a mountainous region, not where we actually were. You need a separate permit to see the chimpanzees there. And then there's another region Uh, within the park where the lions are known to climb specific types of trees. But we weren't in that region either. But he's like, they sometimes climb trees here, but not the trees that they're known for. Like if you Google it to see uh, that they're in, they'll climb in these cactus trees. And I've never seen a cactus tree before. I mean, this was intense. It literally has a normal tree trunk. And then it branches out to be like a giant tree that looks like those thin like cactuses but in such high concentration but our guides were telling us like yeah like the the needles and thorns of the cactus aren't very thick and long in the areas in which they go so they don't really feel the pain but higher up you know they do get a little bit more pointy and thick so they climb up into these trees and then we got to watch like three or four of them climb up into the tree
2: yeah, so that was really cool. So we got to spend a lot of time with the lions. There was probably at least eight lions in this area that we were observing, like, at different parts of the day. And then while we were there near the lions, there was a whole bunch of other cars there, too. One of the cars had a guide who was a tracker. So he had a satellite tracking system where he, had, he could track the other big animals that had collars on them. So he was like, next, we're going to the leopard's. And we're like, yes, Ooh. because the only leopard we had seen at this point was the one that we saw with our binoculars. From a far
1: distance. In
2: Murchison Falls. So everyone goes in a line following this tracker. We're going, like, complete off-roading into the bush. Like, we have no idea where we are. And he pulls up to another cactus tree. And as we look into it, we see that there's a leopard lying in this cactus tree wow. branches. So that was really exciting. And then each car that was there had a turn to go right under the tree, had time to like take photos, really just observe the leopard. And we all just took turns doing that. And then he did take us to one more leopard as well that we got to do the same thing for. Oh,
0: cool.
1: I was so excited. But, you know, I mean, we got really lucky because one of those vehicles, again, they paid to have the tracker who can go and find the animals that are tracked via satellite or chipped with the collars, et cetera. So that's the 110 that Brittany was talking about because it was 100 for the permit, but then the tracker let us tag on to him. But realistically, how upset would you be if you were the one who paid for the tracker, and now a whole caravan of fucking strangers are following you? So he said, if you want to follow, like I'm going to actually charge, charge you. you guys some money. So it was ten bucks per person. But I think the ten bucks per person was well worth it to see the leopards. And so then we were talking to our guides, like, why doesn't Gate One, like, just automatically get the off road permit and bet it in the price? Right. No, like, no one's really going to know. And he says. Well, quite honestly, no one's ever asked for it. I mean, it's nature. It's one of those things. You never know what you're going to get. And he said last tour, the leopard leopard was just lying in the middle of the road, like not even in the tree. Like it was actually moving, lying in the road, this and that. So he said no one's ever... Asked or thought about it before. But when we saw how close those people were getting to the lines, like off in the distance, like we had some FOMO. We were like, fuck this, we (laughs) wanna like get up to it. So we were willing to pay. And that was the best investment I think that we did on the trip was to actually do that little off roading portion.
2: And our entire group had the same mentality like, we'll pay. And they kind of seemed to be surprised by that. They're like, you will? And we're like, yeah. I mean,
0: I kind of think it's a little crazy too. I get why you did it, because it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to get that close to lions yeah. and see that. But at the same time, it's kind of like, let me pay 100 bucks to get, what, like 50 yards closer? 100 yards?
1: I mean, it really depends. I mean, in that moment, they were definitely, I would say, a little over 100 yards. But they're lying in, like, tall grass, so when they're there and if they're not moving, like, you just kind of see see a blur, you know? It's not like the day before when they were close to the road and even still lying down and you can, like, appreciate them. Even though they were close the day before, they weren't as close as we got that day because, one, we wouldn't have seen them in the tree. Two... That wouldn't have come up to our vehicle and brushed up against it. And like we're looking like right down onto the lion in that moment versus, okay, they're 10 feet, 20 feet away. So it's just a different dynamic. So I can see how you can see that they would think differently. But at the same time, I think it's well worth it to have done it in that moment and I think even put it on as part of a gate one thing to just automatically include it that way you can always not disappoint and just kind of like go find it and do what you need to do if you have those sightings
0: yeah so we had a really exciting morning and I'm just surprised they don't pay the tracker not the off-roading because I get that like the, there's no guarantee you need it but the tracker you feel like You'd probably always need that.
1: That's true, but I don't think, like, everybody who goes on safari doesn't pay for the tracker. You know what I mean? This was just one... I know,
0: but I'm wondering, I'm wondering why gate one doesn't include it automatically.
2: Oh. <sighs> well, our guides are actually really good spotters. Like, they are trained to know those roads and how to spot animals. And so, for the most part, like, while we were in Murchison Falls National Park, we didn't need a tracker. We didn't have a tracker the entire time. But this national park, they were a little, the animals... For us, we a little bit more elusive. So I think it just depends on the animals and where they are that day. But it was well worth it. We had a super exciting morning. We saw those lions up close. We saw the leopards up close. It was really cool. We went back to the lodge for lunch. And then we had another river cruise that afternoon. And this time we were going down the Kazinga Channel. And it was a two-hour boat ride. And along the boat ride, we were able to see hippos, crocodiles cape buffalo birds and then we even got to see an elephant swimming in the water
1: and this is a region and again from our lodge at queen elizabeth when we first got there i was like what is that in the water and i pulled the binoculars but jerry who was on our tour with us the one who was solo she missed that from the lodge number one and two it was far away but she really wanted to see the swimming elephants and they're known to swim in this region and that's why she's like i really want to see it and so as soon as we get onto the boat and actually start moving i have my binoculars i notice oh shit, there's an elephant swimming in the distance so i go and tell the captain of the boat and the guys are like oh wow good eye and so that's the first thing we did was beeline it straight to the elephant like swimming and we were within about 15 feet of that, maybe even a little bit closer. And it it melted my heart to see how excited Jerry was for it. Like she She was was ecstatic. And so even before we got up close, I was like, Jerry, you have your binoculars? She said, yeah, I said, there's an elephant swimming in the distance. So she was already like peering at it through the binoculars and everything like that. And again, another amazing boat cruise here with booze included from gate one. Awesome, I know.
2: Yeah, so that day was such an exciting day, day seven. And that was just leading up to kind of our final few days in Uganda. And so after the riverboat cruise, we went back to our lodge. We woke up for breakfast the next day, day eight. And after breakfast, we drove to Bwindi Impenetrable National Park. And this is the mountainous area, the jungle area
0: for where the gorilla trekking is. And is it impenetrable?
1: They call it impenetrable <laughs> because if you really see how dense this forest is, mm-hmm. that's why they call it impenetrable. It is like going into a thicket of just forest of trees. And it's actually quite impressive and sad at the same time. So just a little bit of context of like Bwindi and the, the mountain gorillas as a whole. If you actually Google how many mountain gorillas there are in the wild, then there's a difference between mountain gorillas and lowland gorillas, right? Mountain gorillas obviously live in the mountains. Lowland gorillas live in like little flat areas, right?
0: And what else is the difference besides the I mean, location? there are different
1: subspecies and just different locations, but that's really kind of about it. But the, the lowland gorillas aren't going to migrate up into the mountains, right? So, I mean, they're, those ones are more adept to that environment and the mountain gorillas are more adept to them. And they are technically separate subspecies of gorillas. However there is less than I believe 800 in the wild. Maybe there's up to like 900 in the wild with the most recent census. And that's spread amongst three countries, Uganda, Rwanda, and Democratic Republic of Congo, which unfortunately over there, it's not the best place for them because there's an ongoing civil war in that region. But Buendi has 400 plus of those mountain gorillas. So they have more than half. Realistically, of the population here in Uganda in this specific national park itself. And what makes it really, really sad is we've mentioned earlier, there's lots of farming that goes on over there, like the bananas, the tea, mm-hmm. and these mountainous regions, the mountains are really, really steep. And it's so pretty to see the terraced farming that they have going on. But as pretty as it is, it's fucking really sad to see because you know they cut down so much forest and habitat for chimpanzees, gorillas. And now the gorilla population, the mountain gorilla population is fragmented, right? Because the mountain gorillas are only in this one corner. So where Bwindi is, we're tucked in the corner of Uganda and Congo, And now their habitat is fragmented because of all the farming that's actually going on. So they can't go from one area to the next and they're stuck there simply because, well, there's farmland in between there now. And so that makes them a lot more critically endangered is because their habitat is in that situation and it's because of the farming and the people around them.
2: And Wendy is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. We've talked about UNESCO World Heritage Sites before, so the whole national park is one as well. Jamal mentioned there's about 400 gorillas in this national park, but only about five groups are habituated to humans. The other ones are wild, they're scared of humans, they will run away. There are about five groups, and a group has like eight to ten gorilla family members in it that are okay with humans being in their presence and observing.
1: So when you have the permits, the rangers are only taking you to the gorillas that are habituated to human presence, and they're purposely leaving the other groups wild. Wild.
2: And so we were going to be hiking to a group named the Christmas group, the big silverback male. He was 23 years old. His name was Christmas. And as we started the hike, we were actually going down through villages and then we went through a tea plantation. And then you just see like when you're in the tea plantation, you see the barrier of like the tea plantation and then all of a sudden it just becomes the forest and you just see how dense it is. And it's, it's just...
1: this thick, clear-cut line of like, here's the tea. And then here's the impenetrable forest that you're asking, is it really impenetrable? And then it's just this thickness that you're walking into. So we
2: are actually hiking downhill. Gate one provided all of us with a porter. That porter carried our backpack and was also there because it was very muddy and slippery. So uh, most of the women in our group used their porter to hold their hand and they would just like guide you down and guide you up the mountain.
0: That sounds lovely.
2: (laughs) Jamal and Bob like did not have their porters hold their hand.
1: I did not. I I didn't need it. You know, like, I mean, Brittany and I are avid hikers. The troubling part of this environment was twofold. Like I said, it's really fucking steep. These mountains are steep, right? I mean, they're doing terraced farming for a reason. Second, it's a rainforest. So even though they've cut down, unfortunately, most of the forest and its farmland, it still rains a lot in that area. So it's muddy. It's steep and muddy. So that's what creates the problem of where you can potentially be going a little bit slow Yeah, and making it difficult.
2: So gate one provided us with the porters. And then once we got to where the forest starts, that's when you really need your porter. If like you have balance issues or you're not used to hiking, because it got even steeper in the jungle area. And this is what we did on day nine. So I think we had kind of skipped on day eight. We just drove there. We did like a cultural village walk. And then we spent the night near Bwindi. But day nine is when we started the gorilla track.
1: Right. And real quick on day eight, because you're right. We did kind of brush over that because we're so fucking excited to talk about the gorillas here. But this is where it was really off-roading like at one point once we got off the main highway again we're talking steep mountains they have roads but they're not paved roads at least not yet they are dirt roads on sheer cliffs and when it rains they're muddy they're slippery they had landslides the day before in a certain area close to this because there was actually uh, rain and so this is the Point like people were like, "Oh, are you scared of the gorillas and hiking with them?" Absolutely not. I was more scared of these fucking roads that we were driving on to get here. It freaked me the fuck out driving on these roads. was having anxiety. Yeah, I remember back to Rainbow Mountain and we almost slipped off the edge <laughs> and those fucking sketchy roads in the Andes. I felt like that, but ten times worse over here. I mean, it's safe, but I get into my own head. I'm not going to kid myself, but I was kind of panicking a little bit. And then that village walk that she talked about that we did was actually really unique because when they created the national park, there was an indigenous tribe that was actually living in that forest. The Ugandan government kicked them out because they're like, you can't be in here anymore. Like you set up traps for other animals. You can hurt the gorillas. They had
2: killed a few gorillas on on accident. On
1: accident with their traps. So they're like, fuck this. You're out. So the government kicked that indigenous tribe out. Bought now they- Bought li- them a piece of land. hmm They
2: bought them a piece of land, but they all of the resources previously came from inside the national park. Or the forest. Yeah, well, the forest. And so now they're on a piece of land, but they don't know how to farm. They don't know what to do. So they're learning that from other tribes. And so when you go to this national park, what you pay and your permits and your fees, some of it goes back to this village because the government essentially removed them from their home.
1: I mean, imagine being a person living the majority of your life with not having to worry about paying for electricity or farming or what currency or money is. And all of a sudden, hey, you're kicked out and here's this land and make do for yourself. Right. So that community walk was kind of just to highlight the indigenous people that were in there. And it was a very unique and humbling experience just in general to see how people live in certain places, especially when you're not in the big city.
0: Yeah, I think it's kind of unfortunate that they did that. You know, if they had been existing in this national park in this forest for so long, then they probably have killed gorillas for years, accidentally or on purpose. But now, all of a sudden, we put our human brains on and think, oh, a couple gorillas have died. They have to go when they've probably been existing like that for for years and years, hundreds and, years. and hundreds of years.
2: Yeah, it was unfortunate to see because you can see the amount of poverty that they're living in, too. And like we saw inside a hut and a hut houses four people. It's the size of like by bathroom at home. Like, that's how small it is, you know? So it, it is sad to see, but they are very resourceful. We got to see them start a fire with literally just bare materials, and they try to use everything that they have. So that was interesting to see. And um, one of the other reasons why I think they were kicking them out is because the population is growing so much. They're starting mm. to get larger and larger. So now they're making a bigger impact than what they were previous in previous years.
0: Yeah, and I also wonder, too, if over the hundreds of years of the past, if they've gone through influxes of higher population lower population by natural
1: causes well and not only that like i said they're doing major defor not anymore of course cuz the park is protected but they did that major deforestation in terms of the actual habitat so where they were left living in the forest itself is becoming smaller and smaller and they're ah. using more and more of those resources mm-hmm. their population is growing so that so was a in-
0: target the family living in the forest and not the farmers destroying it well right? and <laughs> now,
1: and now they don't anymore and you know So that was an interesting perspective. And that's even what they were saying, too, is the reason why they have tea in that area around the forest is because none of the forest primates or other animals in there actually eat the tea leaves. So there's no incentive for them to come out. And then even around the tea, then they have like these thick bushes that have thorns that the primates and other animals won't want to come through. So they've created kind of this natural barrier to keep the animals that are in there still in there from coming out and basically saying, all right, here's farmland for you with the tea. That way you can make income also, so to speak. And so it's kind of like that delicate balance now. And I know we started talking about the hike because we got excited, went back to day eight because we skipped it. But let's get back into the gorilla trek. So
2: day nine was the gorilla trek. This was like our last full, full day in Uganda. It was a big day. We were really excited leading up to this. Jamal did not sleep well this night. His anxiety was really high because of all of the rain. He was afraid that we weren't going to be able to
0: get to the gorilla safely. Jamal. Yeah. You can't sit there worrying about <laughs> things that haven't happened like that. I know, I know. I know.
1: Well, that's how I am in my head, but our lodge, our lodge, unfortunately, in terms of the accommodations, wasn't the best Coming from where we came from. It wasn't bad, but after everything that we had that was like five star, it was like, uh, you know. But what was really cool about it is we weren't in the forest we were just on the outside and from where we were in our balcony you can just see it and you're just like i know fucking gorillas are in here And it's this thick impressive forest with the, just like going up the mountain with tall canopy trees but then it was like raining and they told us that we had like another like 30 minute drive from where we were to where we had to do our briefing and actually start our hike and so it was raining so hard that night i was worried about the road conditions because the roads coming up to the lodge were a fucking mess and a treacherous. Mm. Yes.
2: Yeah. So that's where we met our guide. They told us about hiking. We were told that we could be hiking up to seven hours in an elevation up to like 8,500 feet. They said like, it's going to be a pretty strenuous day depending on how long it takes you to find the gorillas. And so the hotel that we had been staying at, they had packed us a lunch with like I think I picked a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and they had a hard-boiled egg and some nuts and some water and some pick-me-up. They had a soda for, like, a sugar rush, too, just to give you, like, energy through the day. That's all they
0: had for this major hike? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Some nuts, boiled egg.
0: Your sandwich. Your
1: sandwich. Your Yeah, absolutely. So they said, eat up, big up breakfast.
2: Yeah, they said, eat a good breakfast, and then... have your lunch
0: what happens if you eat that good breakfast and then all of a sudden Things are moving and grooving, and yeah. you're out in the thicket of the forest. Well, that's yeah. why we
1: say have an antibiotic and antidiarrheal always, but very good question. Well, what and if we, it's neither uh, one of them? And we actually have a great story to kind of go with that.
2: Yeah, so they said, let us know. In our briefing, they said, if you have to go to the bathroom, let us know. You have to let us know if you're going to go number one or number two. Because if it's number one, we'll just pull you off the trail. You very can go behind a bush. open and honest out there. Yeah. yeah. They're like... If it's number two, we need a shovel. <laughs> like, you, we're going to have to go off trail, dig you a hole. They dig it for you? Yeah.
0: <laughs> you a little, like, like just give me the shovel. <laughs> I'll handle this.
2: <laughs> you go do your business, take a number two, you cover up what you did, and then you,
0: you go back like normal. Do you have to just... Be one with the forest and use the leaves as your natural... Well,
1: I mean, ideally, you brought your own toilet paper or baby <laughs> wipes or something. But if not, then, yeah, it's either forest and a wipe. And you better hope that your guide knows that that leaf is safe to put on your skin, and especially <laughs> in that area. Or, yeah. So I mean they they gave us the briefing of what to do but as we were hiking down like we said where we started was quite interesting obviously clearly we got into the forest but we went down through the farmland downhill through like a couple villages and we noticed on the trail I noticed it too but then Bob said to like one of the guides that was next to us he's like oh I think I like there's some scat that's on the trail like what is this and then he realized do You know
2: what scat is Kim Poop.
1: Yeah. And then he realized, like, oh, they're probably not going to know, like, scat. Like, even though they know English, maybe they won't know that term. And then so he was like, I noticed that there's number two on the trail here like what animal is this from and then Brittany, you take it from here yeah
2: he's like there's poop on the trail number two on the trail like what animal provided this and the guide was like oh number two you have to go number two and bob's like no no i just want to know what animal and he's like oh you got to go number two so he's radioing in (laughs) number two someone's got to go number two we need the shovel bob's like no i don't need the shovel (laughs) Like it was just so funny because they just like escalated it from what animal pro- had this poop to this guy needs to go. We need to get the shovel. Bring in the big guy. <laughs> and, and
1: it's so funny because our <laughs> tour guides from gate one are not coming on this hike with us, right? We have our ranger guide, the trackers were in there. Our- Several hours earlier, looking for the gorillas, etc. But they need to know when to pick us up. So our guides from gate one have the radio, too. So then when we got back after the gorilla trek, our guide basically said, oh, yeah, who who needed to go number two? Because he's he's hearing the radio calls
2: for the shovel. (laughs) It was hilarious. No one had to go
0: but it was no shits on trail no, no shits, shits on trail, trail but shits were allowed on the trail yes
1: but me and jeff had to piss on trail so we pissed on trail
0: very nice now i'm glad we went over that but let's get into these gorillas what we've been waiting for yes this yes time
2: so we've gone down through the village we've gone through down through the tea plantation and then you just see just the edge of forest and you look down and it's like completely dark and like almost like black in there because it's just so dense like you know you're going into a different environment and this is where it starts to get steeper more muddy people are grabbing onto their porters a little bit more so that they're not slipping and sliding are they grabbing up here in the bicep
0: area or mostly mostly
2: like your hand (laughs) and like my guide I really didn't need my porter much but every time he knew it was going to be slippery he would like lend his hand to me so that he knew to help me not slip that was really nice Some people did slip on the trail. They were were briefing us and said, like, expect to fall a few times. So some people did fall a few times. But we were only hiking in the forest for maybe 15 minutes max when we heard a really, really large branch just snap. And we all got quiet like oh my god because we knew it wasn't a human snapping that branch we knew that it was a gorilla up ahead so we all got quiet the guy turns around and she goes we think there's a gorilla up ahead I, we think that like we found them
1: well not we think she's so like they're here
2: so she's like let's keep going you know so we start to get closer we start to see them kind of in the distance. And so at this point, we have to give our backpack to our porters. You can't eat or drink in front of them. This
1: is where we mask up. You have
2: to mask up. And then they're basically like, you'll see your porter in an hour because now you have an hour to spend time with the gorillas. Aww. Once you get down there, the people that had been tracking the gorillas, they had machetes and stuff like that. So they start to make clearings of the bush so that we can all stand and view the gorillas.
1: And good view of where they are in relation to us.
0: So they've protected this forest, Mm -hmm. kicked a family out, yeah, but now are chopping the forest down for tourism.
1: Well, they're not chopping the full tree. They're just chopping the leaves Leaves. and stuff that's hanging over okay, and vines. And they said, even to us, like, don't worry. They said, you come here in three days, this will be regrown back. Like that's how fast it grows.
2: And so We got to see the Christmas group. The silverback was 23 years old. His name was Christmas. And he had a family of like seven or eight. What was really cool was he had a lady and they had a baby. And the baby was still pretty small. So we got to see that as well. We got to see the baby play. He was also very affectionate towards his lady. Like he would sit there and he was like a human almost. Like he was putting his hand on her thigh. They were hugging each other. Didn't at
1: one point they fuck?
2: They she mounted him. She, she mounted, mounted.
1: She him. mounted him. He yeah. was sitting
2: down, and she put. She swung her leg over
1: with the baby still like on her, and the baby in between, and they were just kind of like having a little intimate moment uh, <laughs> oh, wow. right there for all of us to go ahead and view. But it's so interesting to see, like to an extent, even with the chimpanzees, human like they are. Yeah, in terms of. Their demeanors and things that'll get them going, Every happy, sad, upset.
0: Like videos online of monkeys, especially monkeys with puppies. Oh my god! They they use their real hands. They pick them up. They cuddle them. They kiss them. It's like like humans. It's yeah. So cute.
1: And it was so interesting to go ahead and see that. So once we got there, we are allowed an hour in their presence. And again, we, you can only get within ten feet of them if they come closer to you. It is what it is, but you can't approach them. And so they got pretty close to us. I don't think the silverback got more than like 10 feet to us. But some of the other gorillas got a lot closer to us. I would say maybe within four or five, there were some juveniles that were playing with each other, like play fighting. And As they were play fighting, they kind of like rolled over into our general vicinity. And as they were done, like kind of like eating, relaxing in one area, they would move to a next, not very far off. Then we follow them to that next area and get to watch them. Mm-hmm. At one point, we got a little too close for the silverbacks liking and not purpose like we encroached them they were moving and got closer kind of to us and he gave us kind of a look and sound to back up a little bit so then our guys like we got to back up you know this that and the other and so it's just this interesting dynamic of just Being there, watching them and this excitement and enjoyment and also knowing like, shit, these are critically endangered animals, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I hope I'm wrong. But I mean, they could be extinct in 100 years. You just don't know. And here we are having this moment of like, holy fuck, like, I've seen them in zoos. Now I'm here in the wild and enjoying the presence. And not only that, like, I hiked to them.
2: And the juveniles are really funny because, like, they're like little kids. We saw one put his finger in his nose and then, like, lick the booger off of it. You know, (laughs) like, things like that where it's, like, a kid would do that. So it was really interesting to see how human-like they were, how they lived as a family, how they cared for each other, groomed for each other, played with each other, cared for each other. I mean, the mom was holding the baby, and one of the other juveniles, like, came up and was kissing the baby, too. So it was just, like so human-like in interaction and it was so humbling to be in their presence and to be able to watch that we did go farther into the forest because they moved a little bit and when you're there you do have to wear long sleeves and long shirts you want to tuck your your socks over your leggings all of that we came across some fire ants while we were in the jungle
1: and if you step on their nest they're crawling up you and biting you
2: And a few of them crawled up me and bit my stomach and they, they definitely, they're like (laughs) probably a centimeter long. They're pretty big and they hurt. It burns when they bite. Oh my gosh. Yeah.
0: How did they get onto your stomach?
2: Well, they crawled all the way up my pants and then
0: went under so my shirt. So your socks
1: were not tucked over your pants? No, they were. They crawled up her pants. But, I mean, even if your thing's oh. uh, on the like tucked in, I mean, you know a button-up. There's a way to get through the button-up, right? It's not like a complete seal. So that's probably how and where they ended up getting in on uh, Brittany. But you they guys were...
0: were wearing pants and long sleeves. What was the temperature? Well, it's a little bit cooler in the forest. So, like, the outside
2: temp... Says that it's like in the 70s, it's like but 75. It, oh, that's yeah, so that's
0: really not bad at
2: all. Yeah, but once you're in the shaded canopy area, it it is cooler.
1: Because
0: like, you think about Africa, you think hot. No, yeah. Right, but like we're at time. high
1: elevations. I mean, up to like 8,000 feet in elevation up in the mountains. So it, generally, it's cooler. But like when we're going through the farmland area, even though it's 75, you're sun exposed, you're moving. It's still kind of like warm when you're in the jungle trying to track and climb over a whole bunch of stuff. Because again, I just want to reiterate like how thick it is in there. You know, you got a duck so your face isn't hitting stuff crawl over like logs and branches, etc. So it builds up a sweat. So, but it is a very temperate temperature when you're in there, but wearing long sleeves. I mean, obviously you do get warm, but I'm not, no one was sweating buckets, so to speak.
2: <laughs> but we had a, such a good time. Like this was definitely the highlight of the trip for sure. Everyone had a good time. It was amazing, unforgettable experience. I'm so glad we did it. It was definitely a bucket list trip for us. Then we had to head back after we spent the hour with them. So total time trekking and spending with the gorillas, I would say it took us about five and a half hours. Okay. It wasn't even a long distance. It was just that the terrain was so different and difficult. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with Gate 1 tours, most of the population there is a little bit older. So it takes them a little bit longer. If it was Jamal and I hiking it, we would have been in and out a little bit faster in terms of like... (laughs) being able to move up and down the mountain but we were waiting on people uh to hike up and down
1: and not even from our group we had an outside couple that got thrown in with our group and they were the ones i shouldn't say they it was the the wife she was the one that slowed down the group and not necessarily like in a bad way i mean everyone's going at their pace we're all here to have a good time and want to enjoy it but she's the one who made it go a little bit longer i feel like if it wasn't for her it for sure could have been done quicker but all in all it still enhanced the experience because you know it's like the excitement of the hike like in and out we're going to go see them and so once we got back to the lodge I mean obviously we're exchanging stories of the entire trip amongst everybody traveling with us
0: pictures
1: pictures etc had our farewell dinner that Gate 1 is known to have
0: I always love the Gate 1 last night dinner drinks everyone's just in such good mood and yeah, and they ready did, to go home they did something different too
2: right before dinner they sat our group down and they said like what could we have done better what did you like what did you not like how would you change the tour if you could and so it was like a mini survey before the survey they send you in the in an email after you get back so we just had to have like good conversation with them about like things that we liked or things that they could have improved on and so it's helpful for them so that they know how to be better guides and then kind of like they said to us too if you have any specific requests After you take this trip, email gate one and they start to really look into those things. Like we said, we would really like a second night at Primate Lodge. It was one of our favorite lodges that we stayed at. We didn't feel like we had enough time there. Kind of like when we were in Ecuador Mm -hmm. and would have liked a second night in So they said, recommend that.
0: Would you recommend adding another day? Would you recommend taking something away? Well, why don't you try this email? Because we've emailed Gay One a few times about a potential collaboration. Yeah. Maybe they're still looking into it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, we're going to have to reach out to them and tell them about Uganda and be like, also, would you like to sponsor our podcast? (laughs) (laughs) But that was really like the highlight. We had that farewell dinner. Um, And then the following day, we had an early morning, had breakfast, and our guides drove us to the airport. We went on a bush plane back to Entebbe. This plane was much smaller than the bush plane we already had taken previously. This plane could, like, see eight people. It was much smaller. But... Our flight was only an hour and 20 minutes. We got transferred back to our hotel. Really
1: functioned as a day room because we were leaving that evening. Like our flight was at 11.50, 11.30, 1130 at night. So by the time we woke up in the morning, caught our flight, and we're back in Entebbe, what was it, like 11.30, 12 o'clock in the afternoon? Mm-hmm. So it was really just a place for us to stay, rest, and relax before our evening flight. And then we all kind of had a farewell dinner back at the hotel at the rooftop in Entebbe, nice. overlooking Lake Victoria. Granted, it was night, nice, so really couldn't see too much of the lake anymore. But that hotel that we were at in Entebbe, such a great evening atmosphere on an open terrace where they have the pool, bar, restaurant and we mentioned this earlier lots of indian cuisine because a lot of indian chefs and we had an amazing indian dinner before we had our flight and it was really really good and i mean this is definitely number one on our trips right now like uganda if it's not on your bucket list you need to put it on it that is for sure
0: all right questions of the week we got one question in from reagan on instagram and she was asking if all the meals were included and if they weren't all included, what did you do for meals?
2: Yeah. So the majority of our meals were included. The only meals that weren't included were on the very last day when we flew back to Entebbe at the hotel. Lunch and dinner weren't included. They were on your own. And so the entire time gate one did provide food for us from the start of the trip to that very end portion. But that hotel that they had a stay at, had a really nice restaurant lounge area, so we ate there, and it was recommended to us to eat there. They had a different variety of food. They had the Indian food as well as American food. And then that our day guide, he also said, if you don't want to eat at the hotel, I can recommend you a place in town if you'd like. But we didn't go for that option. We were comfortable on our hotel roof, oh, okay. you know, lounging with our other tour mates.
1: And I think in generalities, too, like if we're on a guided tour and the meal isn't included in a certain location, we'll always ask the tour guide, like, hey, where's a good place to eat? And like usually a safe local place, right? Because I want something that's off the beaten path, not like where they say, oh, tourists will like this. Like, I want to try something. So that's usually what we'll do. But on this tour, everything was provided except for that last meal. And it was fucking amazing. All the food at the lodges, the lodges were great. The whole experience here uh, on this Uganda Gate 1 was absolutely amazing.
2: No one in our group got sick. No one needed the medications at all. When we were in South Africa, some people did get sick and had to take medication. So the food was great and amazing.
0: All right, you guys, that was amazing. I'm so glad you got to check that off your bucket list. It sounds like a really cool trip right up your alley. I'm sure that there's other people who are listening and will take your advice and take this trip too so thank you all for tuning in to our episode this week keep the adventures going with us on instagram at travel squad podcast if you're going to go to uganda tag us in your trip so we can see it and send us in your questions of the week
1: if you found the information this episode to be useful or if you thought we were just playing funny please be sure to share it with a friend that would enjoy it too and as always please subscribe rate and review our podcast and tune in every travel tuesday for new episodes
2: Stay tuned for next week's episode. We have some more amazing adventures and tips in store for you.
1: Bye, squatties. Bye,
0: squatties.